You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, morning. church. I love it here. Special service. You got even special water here. This is holy water, maybe. Well, it's been a while since I've been up here in uh, the pulpit. And so I'll make it up to you. I'll have three messages for you this morning. Just teasing you. Anyway, I'm always happy to be here. Uh, especially, you know, you come up, you have Aroscaldo already waiting for you. You're just so blessed. So come early. Amen? Amen. Well, the message I have for you today, the title is The Wisdom in God's Foolishness. And it's the verse I'm going to be sharing is going to be on Luke chapter 2. And the past Sundays, we are celebrating the season we call Advent. And it is important to know that we are at the Advent season. It is important because it reminds us that the church goes and lives and breathes according to a different calendar. The world has its own rhythm and calendar, such as January to December. But the church, we live and breathe and move by a different calendar. And so throughout the centuries, the church has celebrated different seasons like Advent, waiting for the coming of God. Advent is the start of the church calendar. It reminds us That the world is put in motion when God comes. And Advent for the church is like our New Year's celebration. God's ways are higher than our ways and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There are many words in the Bible to describe God. He is mighty. He is powerful. He is wise. He is forgiving. He is loving. But rarely do we use the word foolish to describe God. In addition to all these names, there is foolishness about God. And the Bible describes foolishness in two ways. In Proverbs, for example, as it pertains to people who reject wisdom, which often leads to a path of self-destruction which leads you to a path of judgment. And then Paul was talking about the foolishness of God. He was referring to a different kind of foolishness. Let me see if I can figure this out. There you go. God's foolishness is the counter-cultural and counter-intuitive way that leads to life, but defeats the wisdom of the world. Paul says in Scripture that for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And Paul also said that the message, that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In other words, Those who do not believe in Jesus and what he has done on the cross see it as foolishness. 
How is it possible that some man who died on the cross can reconcile the world? God was at his most foolish and very weakest at the cross. It doesn't make sense. But for those who have trusted on what Christ has done for us, we see that it is the very power of God. When we think about foolishness in Advent, there is a specific way that Advent tells us about the foolish way that God brings salvation to the world. Advent tells of the foolish ways God uses disarming weakness to save and restore the world. That is what we see in our passage this morning. And look to verse 9, uh, up to 12, it reads, if you read it with me, shall we all stand as we read the Word of God? And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. Read it with me, please. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You may sit down. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. When we read the story of Jesus' birth, it is always important to understand the surrounding context in which he was born. The setting in which he was born, the people of God when Jesus was born were under Roman rule. They were under Roman oppression. They are far from the glory that they experienced as a people under King David's rulership when he was king. And another king in charge at that time is Herod. He is a violent and insecure and temperamental king, and you will never know what to expect with Herod. When Jesus is born, he comes into a hostile world, a dangerous world, an unpredictable world. And he comes in a world that is armed and dangerous. When, see, when we see how dangerous this world is, that a couple of chapters after Jesus was born, we read that King Herod hears the news that there is a new king in town, and so he had all the children two years and younger killed. They were massacred. So Jesus was born in an armed and dangerous world. So he was born into a world that is power-hungry, a world that is dangerously aggressive, a world that will crush you if you disagree. And when we look at our world today in 2017, we see that not much has changed. Our world and our lives are often armed and dangerous. When you look at our world, we see how armed and dangerous it is. On a global perspective, for example, if you see what is happening in Syria and what recently happened 
for those of you Filipinos, in Marawi, Philippines, we see how armed and dangerous it is. The tragedy and war of aggression, we are faced globally with an armed and dangerous world. When you look at our country, when you listen to the news or read the newspaper, we, we see what is happening. And just to name a few, the shooting incident in Vegas, the church shooting in Texas, we see we live in an armed and dangerous world. When you look at our cities, we see that we live in an armed and dangerous world. One of my workers, he said, because uh, I asked him to come early sometimes, he said, uh, Danny, I want you to come at 6 in the morning. He said, Pastor, I can't do that. It's so dangerous where I live, I can't even go out. It's so dark. I got to wait until after 6. This is in our city. Okay? But it is not just a global, a country, or a city perspective. All of us in this room are armed and dangerous. You just raise your armpit. No, just kidding. We might not be armed with artillery, artillery or guns or weapons, but we are armed nonetheless. There is a danger, dangerous way of aggression that we often live that fractures relationships. A dangerous way of aggression that ultimately fractures our relationships with others. For example, that's what Philip had shared earlier. And I, it happened to me. I was going into the parking lot a few days ago in Cerritos Mall. And, and, and the guy at the back started honking his horn. And, and he overtook me and he was looking at me. I said, with the look like, you are using your phone. It's already a green light. No, I wasn't using my phone. I was checking my Facebook. <laughs> so he pulled, you know, ahead. And, and you can see the aggression, you know? When you get into rush hour 405 freeway every day, you get in an armed and dangerous freeway. When you get into the Norwalk parking lot, and there's no parking, and you run out of donuts, you are walking in an armed and dangerous church. It is the culture that we live in, that at any moment, you can get at any fight. You know? Um, again, one of my peers, we were doing uh, like a, a, a work in one, rest, uh, one uh, building one time, and he happened to look at that guy differently. And he said, why are you looking at me like you're about to punch me? You know, there's that aggressiveness in us sometimes. You know, and at any moment, if you look at the person the wrong way, you might get into a fight. We live in an aggressive world. Something happens to us. This aggressiveness, this dangerous aggression that we live, we use words to hurt people and ostracize them and label them and crush them. Just look at the interactions in the news and social media. Who are you trying to crush right now? Who are you hostile to? Who are you aggressive to? You may say, oh, that's not me. I'm not like that, Pastor. It's not my nature to be aggressive. Then you may not be aggressive, 
but you may be passive-aggressive. When you, we, we, we might tell people, you know, you might not tell people how you feel about them, but you're going to unfriend them on Facebook. We might not be smiling at their face, but we will be talking behind their back. We might not be aggressive, but we might be passive-aggressive. Whether it is aggression or passive-aggression, this is the air we breathe. Aggression or passive-aggression, the water we drink. This notion of aggressiveness it is not just in our relationship. This notion of aggressiveness permeates how our culture operates in that if you want to be successful in life, if you want to be somebody, you have to be aggressive. If you want this job or be promoted to this company, you better be aggressive. You better get the bull by the horn. This is the culture we live in. And this is the same culture God came into the world 2,000 years ago. A very aggressive culture, armed and dangerous culture. So Advent celebrates not just that God has come, but how God came. God came in a surprising and foolish way that does not make any sense to the world. When God revealed himself, he comes as an unarmed infant. In a world that is armed and dangerous, God comes as an unarmed infant. While Herod, the king at that time, was wrapped with artillery, weapons, soldiers, horses, and chariots, King Jesus came into the scene wrapped in swaddling clothes. While Herod is wrapped with power and domination, King Jesus was wrapped in humility and meekness. While Herod was wrapped in intimidation, Jesus was wrapped in weakness. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will, be, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This is foolishness. It is foolishness because the people of God expected the Messiah to come differently. They expected the Messiah to be a strong person, strong enough to be violent enough, to be a warrior, to come with strength that would liberate them. This is the Messiah they expected to come. But instead, the Messiah came as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, as an infant. This is foolish. It doesn't make sense to the world. Now, why does God come this way? The coming of Christ as an infant. God is saying, Salvation will never come through violence and aggression, but by a disarming humility, which is true power. The disarming coming of God is to disarm you and I. 
Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes. There is something about a baby that disarms you and I. You can be the toughest person out there, but when you see a little baby, there is something that a baby does that even the hardest person, you know, can disarm, can be disarmed. And children can disarm us to lower our guard, to not be so defensive. We think salvation comes through brute force, but it doesn't. It comes through a defenseless baby in an armed and dangerous world. Advent shows us that it comes through an armed and dangerous uh, an armed child, and this unarmed child invites us to be a disarming presence in the world. That we, as followers of Christ, are to be a disarming presence in the world and our lives are to be impacted by the coming of this God and in times of hostility, hostility that the world is experiencing today, the church is to be a safe place, a disarming community. This is our call. Have you ever been in the presence of a disarming person? A person that you are able to just lower your guard, be vulnerable and open because of, your, and because of their vulnerability and openness? It's transformative to encounter someone who was disarming. Oftentimes, you hear the opposite. People leave because they are offended by somebody at church. They make these people, they make you at ease, and yet this is the invitation for the church during this Advent season. And so what does it mean to go the way of foolishness and this disarming way of Advent? What does it mean to us? It means a few things. To be disarming and foolish presence in the world means that we choose the way of love over the way of being right. This is what children teaches us. If you see kids play, okay, they'll play, you know, the backyard of the house, and sometimes you'll see them fight, and then one kid will go to the mom and dad, oh, I don't want to play with them, and five minutes later, he's back. As if nothing happened. Right? They play again. But us older people, you probably would not talk to that person for a year or longer. Children, you know why that happens? Very simple, they said. Because children choose happiness over being right. We grown-ups rarely make that choice. We have a hard time stepping aside. We say to ourselves, I will be happy when you let me know that I am right. Then we can play again. But until then, not so much. But what children teaches us is that the way of love supersedes the way of being right. Now, of course, we must wrestle with issues. We must have hard conversations. To say the way of love is over the way of being right does not mean that we don't have hard conversations. It doesn't mean we don't address injustice. It doesn't mean we don't address the elephants in the room. 
It just means that the way we do it, it is different than the world, which is the way of love or the way of being right. And this is what children teaches us. They live with a disarming defenselessness. And I would also say to choose this foolish way is not just choosing love over the way of being right. It also means, number two, that the weapons, that we don't use the weapons of this world to get our way. When Jesus came, he did not come looking like Herod. He came in swaddled clothes. He didn't come looking like Herod. And there's plenty of weapons that the world that the world offers us for us to use, especially if those weapons have been used on us. And if the weapons have been used on us, we have no problem using the same weapons back on them. Whether the weapon is labeling or cutting words or sarcasm or putting down or gossiping or judgmentalism or hurtful words, we often use the weapons of this world to get our way. The way of Advent says, we put down the weapons for this is foolish. The world will say, oh, you'll get trounced if you do that. They'll trounce on you. This is the foolishness of the cross. How many of you don't raise your hands, but how many of you would always say, oh, I have to have the say or the last word? Right? We always want to have the last word. We all want it our way. We want to retaliate using the same weapons used against us. To be a disarming presence means that we do not use the weapons of this world to get our way. Lastly, this foolish and disarming way of Advent is foolish in a disarming way of Jesus. It's not just choosing the way of love over being right or just using the weapons or not just using the weapons of the world to get our way, but number three, to be disarming means we are safe to be around, safe to be in the presence of others. We've all been around people who are not safe to be around with. St. Augustine said something like this, A friend is someone who knows everything about you and still likes you because you're safe to be around. Isn't this why people were so attracted to Jesus? Because he was safe to be around? Why were sinners openly coming to Jesus, confessing their sins before him because he was safe to be around. Safe to be around with. It was the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not repentance that leads to the kindness of God. Jesus shows us this kindness of God and Jesus shows us this kindness that he is safe to be around with, no wonder the mass, the, the throngs came to him. 
The disciples say, oh, sinners, they're, Lord, they're sinners. You, you can't be with them. And Jesus said, let them have a little bit of my kindness and watch them start repenting. That's not how the church operates. The church says, get yourself together first and then come to Jesus. Jesus said, no, come to me as you are. Get a little bit of my kindness, my grace, and you'll be repenting all over the place. That's what happened to me over almost 30 years ago. The kindness of God led me to repent and come to the altar. This is the foolish way of the cross. Jesus is safe to be around with. And what we see in this child Jesus, what 30 years later, that he did not change the trajectory of his life. He began as a disarmed, unarmed child who was safe to be around with, grew up, and when he grew up, he died on the cross. And on his death on the cross, he demonstrated what it means to show that suffering, love, led to the restoration of the world. Jesus could have attacked us back. He could have called legions of angels and just moth everyone. But instead, he, went the, he, he was on the cross and somehow, he is restoring, or he restored the world to himself. And one thing, one of the things you see about Jesus on the cross is that when you are on the cross, there is no time and no ability for you to attack. If you are on the cross, you cannot attack anymore. It is impossible to attack and be on the cross at the same time. And we are to be on the cross with Jesus, as what Paul says. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it is uh, uh, not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that now I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to be on the cross means that you can't attack. You are disarmed. So the question is, are you on the cross? Are we on the cross or are we not? The reality is, I would rather have Jesus Hold the cross. And let me just do the stuff. My stuff first. Jesus, I'm just going to get down to the cross first because I got to do something here. This guy is messing me up. And then, but I'll come back anyway. <laughs> you want to do something wrong and then you want to jump back in. That's how we operate. But we are to be fixed. So this is foolishness.
How can we do this without the power of the Spirit? We cannot do this on our own strength. And yet Advent calls us to a foolish way. And the world will say, this makes no sense. And it shouldn't make any sense because this is coming from a different system, a different kingdom, a different way, a different Lord, a different king. I'd like the ushers or the uh, worship team to come up, spend time in worship right now. As we conclude today, my hope is that you see from the Word of God that no excuses are allowed. Let's all stand. All of us here come from different walks of life, different backgrounds. You have been chosen in order for God to get glory through you. This is the wisdom of God's foolishness. He chose you and I. You probably will never be elected in office or win an award. You probably are not going to have a position in life or have all the wealth that you want. But just as what Jesus did, He is using the weak so that He will be glorified. If you look at all, a lot of the people that God used in the Bible, these are very ordinary people. Moses who don't even want talk to people <laughs> it was right there in front of Pharaoh facing the most important leader at that period of time and so there is nothing nothing at all that the Lord is going to withhold from you if you open your life to Him we need to practice being crucified on the cross with him. Whenever somebody cuts you on the freeway, remember that you're crucified with Christ. Whenever somebody stole your parking in the mall this Christmas, remember that you are crucified with Christ. Whenever your spouse is getting you late to a place where you want to go, remember that you are crucified with Christ. Remember, whenever somebody's making you upset at work, putting you down, you cannot attack. You are crucified with Christ. My friend, this is the wisdom in the foolishness of God. And there's one thing more that is kind of foolish to the world. As a matter of fact, it is so foolish to them that even up to this point, Jesus said, all you have to do to come to me, believe, is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. 
to the world that is foolishness because it is so simple. How can I be saved just saying those things and believing in those things? And the guy that was put on the cross because they see the cross as a weakness. They see the cross as a defeat. But for those of us, as what Paul said, we see it as the power of God moving in us. So maybe you already know these things. You already know that Jesus is the way to salvation. But still many people are taking it for granted because to them it's just so simple. It's just like there's no power on it. Like there's no power anymore. That he's not the same God. I heard a story about a group where one person, he had a lion as a pet when he was young. And then this lion obviously grew up and it became very friendly to humans. And so he invited his friends and, he, and his friends look at the lion. Oh, the, the lion obviously was in a cage and the owner was playing with it like a cat. And then the friend said, oh, he must be so friendly that he's like a, a, a domesticated cat anymore. And then a, a guy overheard said, there's only one way to find out. Get him out of the cage. See, God is powerful then. And He is still powerful today. He has not changed at all. And His offer of salvation to everyone is still the same today. It may look so simple to the world. And yet, don't take for granted the power behind it, the power of the cross. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.